Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Whittingham. Now that you've found us, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button. That means you will get all of the old episodes in our library, as well as all of the new episodes as soon as they post. You can do that on any podcast provider that you use. Also, check out the other 12 podcasts in our network. We've got lots of things going right now. Today, Goldie on Ice released a new episode with Panthers forward Sean Thornton. Also, uh, Swings and Mishes will be publishing again this week. Miami Heat beat three yards per carry, now going twice a week now that Dolphin season has started. They'll give you a little bit different analysis, Chris, uh, than you'll get here on this podcast, but I think all sort of equally valuable, as is the analysis you will get with Ballscast. They did an episode about the Dolphins last week, which uh, irreverent. Um, talked a little bit about having built the stadium on a burial ground and that that's why they've had such bad luck. And then we saw yesterday, Chris, of course, that that's what led to an eight hour game. So uh, you can get all of that analysis, <laughs> you get all of that analysis on balls cast uh, three yards per carry and check out all the other podcasts in our network. Now, one thing we're going to be doing here during the course of football season is we're going to be analyzing games after they end. Now we, we took a little bit of a shortcut this time, Chris, because we had planned on taping Sunday night. That was the deal, right? Your mm -hmm. game was going to be over. You were at the stadium doing some work for QAM. Game was going to be over uh, after 4 o'clock. You'd be home, you know, get a little dinner, watch maybe the game again on review or DVR, and then we would talk about it. Yep. But, but that was not the plan. What that was the plan, that but all plans went out the window yesterday. Yeah, all plans. Longest game in NFL history. Longest game because the Dolphins have not been mediocre enough for the past 20 years. <laughs> we have to be we spectacular in other ways, Ethan. Right, right. And we need more of them. We need more of them. Yes, and then exactly. What ended up happening, uh, which was totally strange, is that after the rain, well, it wasn't even a rain delay, Chris. I, look, it was, I a, live, it was a lightning delay. But I don't even know what it was. I live yeah. 15 miles from the stadium, 15 miles. Yeah. OK. And yesterday was one of the driest days I've had here at the house <laughs> in, in a long time. I mean, for, for days, I, I wasn't able to walk out to my car during the day. And yesterday I was going to get things for my car. I was going to make sure I had picked up the mail from this week. I mean, there was no issue with the weather, it appeared, other than the lightning that was on the horizon. And we had two delays, um, ended up pushing the game back where it didn't end until, what, after 8 o'clock, uh, which is just insanity. And what the, the weirdest thing about the day to me was not the two that, that they had the two delays or anything like that. It was that after the second delay, a really interesting football game broke out, <laughs> right? The Titans and, and the Dolphins with Blaine Gabbert at quarterback managed to have an enthralling game. It was hugely fun. It was fun, and I don't really know where that came from. So, uh, look, if, if that's what it takes to get us that kind of uh, 15 minutes that we had where you had touchdowns going back and forth. I mean, you had one that was a long one by Derrick Henry that was called back. Yeah. But to have to have Jakeem Grant, to have Kenny Stills, to have you know, everything that happened. Titans had a return. Titans had a return, so uh, so it really was you know compelling once they came back. So what we're going to do today, and then we will touch on the Canes a little bit at the end. We're going to do that in these recap episodes also. But I don't know that Savannah State requires a full twenty minutes. So we'll <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll touch. Although clearly Samford does. Clearly, yeah. Samford oh, for does. sure. Yeah, Samford is the quality of opponent that if you're uh, if you're doing a Florida State podcast, then we're breaking it down with ferocious intensity. Exactly. And so, yeah. And, and right now, FSU might be the worst team in the state, but we'll, we'll talk about that before the FSU game. But let's get to the Dolphins and we're going to break this down five ways. And I, I want to start here uh, with Ryan Tannehill, because that's where it all starts for this team. They 
they went into this season really getting him no protection in terms of a backup. They did get him protection on the offensive line, and that is something I want to touch on uh, during this episode because I thought that was a big factor yesterday. I thought the offensive line was very good, much improved from what we've seen in some recent years. But this season does come down in a lot of ways to Tannehill. If he's healthy and he's effective, uh, they have a chance to maybe get on the outside of the playoff picture. If he's not, they have a chance to be a 3-13 and or 4-12 and team. And yesterday we saw why I believe that it is absolutely crazy, Chris, for people to have severe positions about Ryan Tannehill because he's not awful. Okay. No, you can't, you can't be awful and make the throw that he made to Kenny stills, which I know a lot of people have been waiting for that for a while, but actually both throws to Kenny stills were pretty damn good, but let's just look at the 70 yards. But before you do though, I I looked this up yesterday because I remember seeing it somewhere in 2016, on throws that were and Pro Football Focus does this. They they judge air yards, not the length of a reception, right? Because if you catch a screen pass and take it seventy yards, the quarterback shouldn't get credit for that. On throws that were twenty yards in the air or longer, Kenny Stills was equal with Antonio Brown for most in the NFL in two thousand sixteen with eight for touchdowns. And that was the last time that Ryan Tannehill and Kenny Stills were together. So, yes, the long, beautiful, floated ball, 50 yards downfield, we don't see enough of those. But Tannehill going deep to Kenny Stills is not a new thing. No, it's not. And there were other things that Ryan did yesterday that I I thought were good. I thought his presence in the pocket was pretty good. He moved his feet well enough to get away from the rush. There wasn't a ton of rush, by the way. Um, Yeah, there was only the one one sack on that drive that kind of that that led to the ended up being the the game ceiling field goal. Right. That one. And then also there were two penalties for Tunsil, one in which he mm-hmm. basically saved Tannehill from getting killed by holding. Uh, so, you know, you want to try to clean that stuff up a little bit. But but for the most part, the protection was good. I thought his pocket presence was fine. Um, I, you know, he looked to run a little bit and not as much as I think as, as we'll, we'll see uh, going forward. But he spread the ball out. And, and we're going to touch on this more over the course of this pod. But but to me, the biggest thing that was shown yesterday in the passing game is something you and I talked about repeatedly on this pod. And this is why I did not think Jarvis Landry was a $14 million or $15 million player. I think the Dolphins are better off getting the ball in the hands of more people and getting it in the hands of more people who can do more with it. That's not to disparage Jarvis Landry. I know he had a big catch yesterday for Cleveland in that tie against Pittsburgh. But it's just that... When you're when you're involving Jakeem Grant, when when Kenny Stills is more of an option, I know they didn't involve Gesicki much yesterday. They tried, and I'm going to get to that in a second because that was one of the things for Tannehill that didn't go particularly well. But they were able to get uh, they were able to get Albert Wilson involved, right? Uh, obviously, we saw what Grant was capable of doing. So, and then even Drake out of the backfield, like they have a lot of options on this team. And so, I just think spreading the ball out is going to make it more comfortable for Tannehill than feeling like he has to force feed the ball to Jarvis Landry all the time. Now, on the negative side, the other reason I don't think you can take a severe position about Ryan Tannehill is he still makes throws on occasion, like the one he made to Kosicki at the goal line. Now, I know Kosicki fell down, but it was not a good fade throw. I don't know why the Dolphins are insistent over the past 20 years on running fades. They used to run them to our friend Greg Camarillo, who's yeah. five foot ten. Uh, I, I, I never, and again, different regime, but the fade route to me, I would love if one of our listeners out there is able to find the numbers on this. <laughs> I think it's I think it's one of the least effective plays in football unless you have uh, unless you have Julio Jones. OK, and we but even, that's but that's the thing, Ethan, is that the Dolphins, it's not Julio Jones, but you've got a six, six tight end who has a 41 inch vertical leap like that is a play that should work. He should be able to physically dominate 
uh, opposing corners. But like you said, it was it was kind of a disaster on both ends. Gasicki fell down, and Tannehill's pass was bad. But I would not mind if they tried that again because, in theory, it should work. And from everything that we hear about the people that cover the Dolphins in training camp and have seen them when they practice in the bubble, Mike Gasicki has been dominant in the red zone, and that should be able to translate to games. I wonder if you know he lost footing because it's the third football game that's played there in three days, and he just kind of lost his footing after rain and a, and a lightning delay. I don't know what happened, but I, I would not mind if they did that again. I think it should work. I love the fact that you threw in the third football game of the weekend because I was at the first football game of the weekend, which was a soccer game. That's what we call it in this country. It's football. And, and it was Columbia, Venezuela. But you're right. The, the field was not in, in perfect condition uh, for sure. Although I thought it, 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 it held, it held up, it held well. up well. Yeah, it held it, up well. I, considering. I, I, all, well, and I, I saw Tom Garfinkel, the president of the Dolphins, made it made a point to, to make a point of that uh, on Twitter yesterday. Yeah. Uh, for everybody who's complained about the field. So so credit to the Dolphins for that. But look, um, the other throw, the the interception, the pop-up, the overthrow, uh, not a great throw. And there were a couple others that were not great. And so, again, this is where I come down on Tannehill. He's fine. He's fine. He's going to make mistakes. He's not going to do what Aaron Rodgers did last night, okay, and basically, you know, limp out there on one toe, okay, and, and, and lead him. <laughs> And lead lead a twenty point comeback against against Chicago. That's not who he is. Okay, but he's also not awful. And for those people who are on social media this morning, uh, as I look at this, who are tweeting out his two bad throws, you know, w- with the video of them to prove their point, just stop. Just stop. I mean, he's not. You, you're not gonna at this point. You're not gonna convince anybody. It, it's kind of the same thing, honestly, Chris, as the political debate. Like at, at this stage, like <laughs> which I know I get engaged in, but you're just not gonna convince the other side. Like yeah. people are entrenched on their position on Tannehill, and it's weird to me because what Chris Joseph of Ballscast says is he's vegetable lasagna. Like he's fine. Like <laughs> like, like, like like you'd rather he was bolognese, right? But it's edible. It's perfect. Yeah. It, 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 it's edible. It's fine. It goes down if the, you know if the sauce is not over. You know if, if the pasta is not overcooked or whatever, or the vegetables. Not, it, it's okay, and and you can win with that if the rest of the team is in a better place. And, and one of the things you know we're going to get into is I do think the rest of the team is in a better place because I think they had a good off season. And I know that our guys at three yards per carry have gotten heat for that, but. Mentioning the Heat, I think the Dolphins' offseason has been better than the Heat's last three offseasons. I, I think they they made good decisions, and some of the players that they brought in, uh, you know, I, I think were, were good risks for them and not big risks for them, and I, we saw a lot of them play well yesterday. But back to Tannehill before we move on, I would grade him a B for yesterday, and to me, that's fine. Where would you have him? Yeah, I mean, and, and to me, the other thing that's, Part of this is that was his first NFL game in 637 days, and there were two lightning delays. And for him to produce 20 of 28 for 230 yards and two touchdowns with the two interceptions, like that's a solid day. For me, my favorite stat of his performance one sack. You saw the difference in his performance when he was able to stand in and not have to, you know, make those throws down or not have to make those throws under duress like it it makes a real difference and you just saw the way that he performed in the game there was a lot of short throws they didn't take too many risks in the first half and then the second half they aired it out a little bit and I thought it was pretty fun there was a couple of dangerous ones to Jakeem Grant and then the well the one that got intercepted in the direction of Jakeem Grant but I thought it was a totally fine performance and again it's enough to win you games and to me the thing that kind of bothered me was a lot of people were saying that first half was boring because it was 7-3 with a minute and 11 to play like the Dolphins got inside the red zone 
and decided to go for it on fourth and short, which I loved, by the way. And long may it continue. I hope Adam Gase does not get backed off of not being aggressive because it didn't work the one time. I hope. And then, and then there was another red zone trip that led to an interception. So you're in the red zone. Uh, our friend from Three Yards for Carry Alfredo was saying he thought the Dolphins beat the hell out of the Titans, and the scoreline doesn't reflect it. And I can kind of understand why, because you leave 14 points on the field in the red zone. And so the Dolphins' offense, I always judge it by their movement. How often are they moving down the field? Does it seem like they're taking multiple three, out, three and outs in a row? Does it seem like it's taking forever for them to move down the field? And I thought for the most part, the Dolphins' offense moved very well. They got very good production in the run game. Ryan Tannehill moved the team very effectively. And I thought generally the Dolphins' offense had a very good performance yesterday against the Titans' defense that you could say in large part got them to the playoffs last year. Like, it's not a Titans' defense that's devoid of talent. For the first time for him playing in basically 19, 20 months, for him to turn in that level of performance, I thought was pretty solid. And I agree with you on your point with Landry as well, where... He, it's not like his attempts vanish. It's not like his completions vanish. They just go somewhere else, and if they produce production at a, rel- at a relatively similar level, then what have you lost? Like, I don't think you've really lost that much. It's not like the Dolphins were, were, were struggling to move the ball downfield. Uh, maybe on third down, you can you lose a little bit. They were two for 10 on third down yesterday. That can certainly improve, but I, I don't think it's that massive of a loss. I've, I always thought the bigger one was going to be Sue, and Derrick Henry ends the day 10 carries, 26 yards. So I, I, I'd say it was job done in terms of needing to accomplish all the things that they had to accomplish to kind of fill in their offseason. Yeah. And look, those attempts to Landry, you know, are going to go to other people for more yards. I, I, right. I you know, the, the, and, and third down, you know, look, I understand two for 10. The Dolphins were pretty bad. A lot of games with Landry on third down yep. also, because a lot of times they wouldn't throw to the sticks. And and that happened on the very first possession yep. again yesterday where they didn't throw to the sticks. And then, like you said, he's actually started to look downfield. Things started to go better. I had no problem with the going for it on fourth down. I think the mistake was made was Vrabel going for it on fourth down early in the game. I did not understand that one. Uh, and and I, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm here for any and all fourth down aggression. I, I, if- I, I, I know, but it's, it's so early in a game. You're t- I know it's a new head coach trying to make mm-hmm. his stamp on things. I, I generally support it, but in that situation, even before it didn't work, I didn't like it. We'll get back to our episode here in a second, but want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that's the attorneys at Seltzer Mayberg. You can find them at onecalllegal.com. That's onecalllegal.com or call 1-855-5000-LAW. Seltzer Mayberg handles cases including, but not limited to, car accidents, slip and falls, criminal, immigration, family, bankruptcy, real estate, wills, trusts, and estates, and they'll be doing all this in a new 15,000-square-foot office, which is opening on I-95 in North Miami. They specialize in South Florida, but they handle cases all over the state. Call now with 24-7 service for a free consultation if you mention five reasons. Again, that's onecalllegal.com, 1-855-5000-LAW. And now, back to the episode. All right, let's move on to part two here. Let's go with the holdovers, Chris, before we get to some of the newcomers. So I thought there were some encouraging things. I mean, we're going to start, obviously, with Rashad Jones. And, yeah. I mean, he's elite. Uh, he's elite. I mean, he, he's around the ball. I mean, we could talk about the two interceptions. Uh, biggest, you know, play. I mean, he, he had, a, he had a, a tackle in the backfield, uh, which kind of changed the momentum of a Titans drive. He's an elite player. And, you know, you look back at that draft, the Dolphins have had so few 
really quality picks over the past 10, 12 years. To get him in the fifth round in 2010, I, I, he was drafted like in the 160s. And according to football reference, he's the 34th most productive player uh, drafted. So he's projected like a high second round pick or, or, or close to a late first round pick. So to get that kind of production out of him, to still get it, uh, he doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. And to have him paired with Minka back there is just is terrific for the Dolphins. So I thought he was he was great. Uh, we didn't hear a lot from Cameron Wake. I, I thought that their pressure, for the most part, now we're going to talk touch on Quinn a little in a second. I thought their pressure was okay. Uh, you know, there were some times that they were close on some plays. I know Quinn in particular forced uh, a holding call. You know, with one. A one pass rush. Uh, but as far as the other holdovers, you know, Kiko Alonso, who's been criticized a lot, including here, made a play. Um, you know, Xavier Howard, you really didn't hear much from him. I mean, I know that the Titans don't have, thing, yeah. which is good. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. And the Titans don't have an elite receiving core, but Corey Davis uh, really didn't make a, a huge impact. So, so that was a positive too. I, you know, the holdover linebackers, as you mentioned, I mean, Henry had the one long run, which was called back. Deion Lewis, I uh, got loose a little bit late, but it was not really a big deal. I thought the linebackers, for the most part, were okay. Mm-hmm. There were some missed tackles uh, in some situations, but they they were not awful. As far as the other holdovers, um, Tunsil with the two penalties, got to clean that up uh, some. And Kenyon Drake really didn't bust loose. I, I feel like there's more on the bone there. And if I have one criticism of Gaze, I, I know, again, you like the aggression. I get that. I generally like the aggression. But I did think there were times late in the game where Gase is just so reluctant, reluctant to take the air out of the ball. Like he yeah. just, he, he, he won't do it. Like there's only been a couple of games that I can really remember that he's done it where it, it, I always feel like he does it three or four minutes later than he needs to. And, and so I, I felt like they could have killed that game a little quicker if he used, uh, used it more. And the other name we mentioned is stills and yeah. you and I, you and I had chambers on the pod, Chris chambers on the pod several weeks ago. And, and he said flatly, that Kenny Stills was going to be their number one receiver. And I know our guys at three yards per carry love the analytics on Stills, uh, particularly when he's played out of the slot. You mentioned the touchdown ratio that he's gotten to, the deep ball ratio that he's gotten to. Is he a high-end number one, a guy that you scheme for? Probably not. Can he be a high-end number two or even a low-end number one? I think so. I think he's versatile enough. Uh, He's still in his prime. He seems to run the right routes. His quarterback seems to trust him. His coach absolutely trusts him. I, I, I just, I think maybe people are, are sleeping a little um, on Kenny Stills. I certainly am. I benched him for Deion Lewis in my fantasy. <laughs> but well, uh, Lewis, I, I got you some garbage time points. He, he got me a few, but I, I had to make a, a decision there, and I, you know, I, I don't. I went against the Dolphins instead of for them in that case because I, I just had these visions of Deion Lewis catching twelve screen passes against them <laughs> uh, and, and the linebackers chasing him. But, but he's a he's a good player, and I think when we, you and I talk about them not having any stars. Um, they don't have any high-end stars, but they, they do have above-average players on this team. And I, I think Rashad Jones and Stills, and then the other quick guy to mention here uh, before you close this one out is, is Jakeem Grant. Yeah, um, uh, that, that was going to be my guy. Yeah, uh, who, who I just I, – we had him on the pod, and, and there's a confidence there. 
but he plays with an edge too. Like yep. he plays, he plays with the Landry edge without some of the stuff you don't want. Um, and and plays like someone who understands that he's five foot six and is in a constant state of having to prove that he belongs on an NFL field and has lived that his entire life. Like that manifests itself in the way that he plays. And for me, you look at his stat line from a receiving standpoint. Five catches, thirty-eight yards doesn't really show the dynamism of a of a player of his speed, but. In, in some ways, it was actually more impressive that they went to him. I, 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 it was on a second and nine or something like that for a slant over the middle. He's got to, you know, potentially take a hit. And he went in there and, and made a big catch. Like, there's been, you know, obviously uh, situations where he has not always caught the ball. Where he's had drop issues. And for him to get stuck in in a fairly dangerous situation, like, you saw that more than a few times with him. So, I'd actually say that seeing that aspect of his game was almost as influential and important is him running back a uh, kickoff return for a touchdown and showing off that ridiculous speed that he has and it's actually something that I, for me is fascinating and I was reading an article about it this morning that the kickoff return might be back because of the new rules because kickoff teams can't get a head start because all the blockers are kind of more towards the kicker than they are towards the returner there's a lot of space to operate for kickoff returners and you saw that yesterday around the league we had two in this Dolphins game so I wonder if Jakeem Grant's ability in the kickoff return game might actually be an even greater asset than his receiving assets. Well, the one thing he talked about with us, Chris, was wanting to be a complete receiver. Like as much as he touts his speed, it's, it's that ability to go over the middle. And I do think they can use him out of the slot some and, and they can work the middle of the field with him. And I, again, I, we talk about the receiving core and they just have a lot of different options. Like, do they have an elite guy? No, but they got a bunch of guys who could be twos and threes. And, and that's better than I think they've had in some recent years. It also makes you feel a little better about the Levante about the Leonte Carew situation because mm -hmm. Grant's the only thing they got out of that. Uh, if you look at it, they gave up three picks and because they ended up trading down and those picks went to someone else, they ended up getting Grant with one of those picks. So was Grant worth three picks? We'll see. Uh, but at least they got something as opposed yep. to, to what we talked about with Carew. All right, let's move on to the next part of this and let's go to the newcomers, not the rookies, but the other newcomers. So they brought in a bunch of, of veteran guys. They brought in Robert Quinn. They brought in Danny Amendola. Um, and they brought in Frank Gore. Those are, or those are three of the primary guys that they brought in. And all three of them did something yesterday. And now mm -hmm. Quinn, didn't, Quinn didn't have a sack. But as I mentioned, he had a pressure uh, that led to a hold. Amendola had, I think, three catches. Um, and, and again, showed his ability, as he did in, in a couple of the preseason games, to be an available target for his receiver, which, which I think is helpful for Tannehill. Um, he knows how to work those spaces. Obviously did that a lot in New England. And then Gore, he looks good. Like, I, I mean, you know, he didn't get a lot of work in the preseason. I know he wanted to get more work than that, but that's kind of what Adam Gase was saving him for. And he had a burst yesterday that was impressive. And so this is not going to be an Arian Foster situation. I, I think that was the concern a little bit. Like Gore has not had the injuries later in his career. He had them at UM, right? He had them early in his career. Yep. He's been a durable player for the course of his career. Arian Foster's injuries were later. But Arian Foster came here and was supposed to be potentially a starter, and that was a disaster, and he was gone after a couple of weeks. Frank Gore looks like he's going to contribute to something else other than the locker room. Now, I don't want him taking a ton of carries away from Kenyon Drake because I just think – there's more explosiveness there with Kenyon Drake, and I want to see Kenyon Drake get 20 touches a game. But it is a nice luxury to have a second back like Frank Gore, who you know is going to get every yard that is available, right? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't waste steps. He doesn't dance around. He doesn't screw up. 
it, there's a hole, he's going to hit it, and he's going to get you as much yardage as you can possibly get out of that play. And then he, he may take, take down a tackler and get you another half yard or two yards. Uh, and, and to me, that's, again, moving the chains, being an effective offense, putting Tannehill in better down and distance situations. I thought all three guys that they added yesterday, and actually, I don't, there's a fourth. Albert Wilson yeah. showed some too, in, including what our three yards per Gary guys have been talking about, which is using him as a running back also. So I thought all four of those guys, compare that to the three guys that are not there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot a fifth. Josh Sitton, right? Yeah. Offense line was terrific yesterday. I thought Sitton uh, dominated. So you look at those five guys, and then you compare it to losing Sue, Pouncey, and Landry. I said this many times on the pod. I thought it was a net plus, especially when you look at cost. It's funny because the the, 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 na- the national discourse was that the Dolphins have significantly downgraded and they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL for exactly that reason. That they think mm-hmm. it was. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash Miami Heat. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill such a net negative that they became a decidedly worse team i think they're better i i, I think they're better i and, and and we said that and, and that's to me that's why the national media had this wrong i think it's also why they you know were six and a half wins which i did bet the over using our code uh reason <laughs> one six and a half wins uh at uh, at bet dsi so just make sure to go there get your bets get matched up to twenty five hundred dollars i did lose yesterday on something though chris i said there would be no play i'm the one who jinxed this i said that i i said there would be no plays over 41 yards uh no touchdown plays can you can, can, can you toss a few dollars on this every week so we can get more exciting uh, games I, 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 don't have, <laughs> I don't know if i have any left of my initial deposit <laughs> <laughs> not 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 after the Browns tied the, the Steelers at the end and and screwed up my parlay there. Um and and after FAU uh won by what six uh six and I and I I had him at seven and a half. Um but you know I thought they would be better this year for two reasons. One, uh, Tannehill's back. He can't be worse than Cutler. Mm-hmm. That, that's my whole theory on that. It's not complicated. And and two. I like the players they brought in in terms of the roles that they would fill better than the players they lost. I mean, people are talking about Mike Pouncey like he was playing 16 games at a Pro Bowl level. 
that wasn't happening. That yeah. wasn't happening. And it was creating a lot of problems for the rest of the offensive line because you didn't know if he was going to play week to week. And when we had Richmond Webb on, he talked about that, the consistency, guys playing together all the time. Landry, we've talked about it. I thought they would spread the ball out more. Sue, yes, I thought they would miss Sue. But as you mentioned, Tennessee came in with a pretty strong running game, two very good backs, and didn't do a ton against them, or at least no more than they have before. The, 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 the numbers end up looking worse than it was. If you watch the game, like you saw for the first three quarters, like Tennessee was trying to come back, and they kind of took advantage of the Dolphins playing a bit further back uh, with Deion Lewis. But, I mean, Derrick Henry was supposed to be the guy that was going to gash the Dolphins. And I would say we're kind of like hitting on all these different categories. And for me, the front seven is a combination of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. You have the two defensive tackles that are a newcomer in Akeem Spence, someone that was not really talking about very much but I'd have to go back and watch the film and break it down but obviously given the fact that Derrick Henry went for, went 10 for 26 he did a job as did you know with combination of Jordan Phillips and Devon Godchow behind them whether it's Kiko Alonso and the returning Rayquan McMillan, as much as he's a returner, he's kind of a, 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 new, a newcomer as well. And then a rookie in Jerome Baker, like, they had a difficult job to do, to slow down Derrick Henry behind a power-running offensive line. Uh, the, the, the one thing for me, though, that was of slight concern is that they didn't get after Marcus Mariota or Blaine Gabbert uh, with, with a sack with sacks because I thought this would be a pass rush that produced a ton of sacks. And this is a Tennessee Titans offense that lost, that, that was without one of their first-round pick offensive tackles in Jack Conklin and lost one in the game in Taylor Lewan, who got injured during the game. So I would have thought that the Dolphins could have profited much more in the pass rush, and it's something I want to see when they play the Jets next weekend. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And I do think Robert Quinn was close enough on a couple that I think that's going to start to happen. And look, Cameron Wake's not – I don't think Cameron Wake lost it over the offseason. Mm-hmm. I think that will show up. Like, that's the, one of the last things I worry about with them. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be game to game, but I think they'll get enough pressure. I want to tell you about one of our great partners here at the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Doral Toyota, which, like us, is pure South Florida. That's Doral Toyota, where you can find all your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance in all new vehicles. And house financing is available for credit-related issues. Also, if you mention five reasons when you call 305-680-1129, that's 305-680-1129, or come in, you will work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. All right, let's move on to part four here. We've talked about some of the veteran newcomers, and again, I think it was a good debut for them. Let's talk about the rookies. We mentioned Gasicki really didn't make an impact, had the one play that kind of sticks out. they're going to use him. Uh, they're going to, I'm not concerned about him uh, as a pass catcher. He's going to be part of the offense. He's going to have some games. What sticks out mostly, though, yesterday, obviously, is Minka. And yep. he's special, man. Like I, I mean, it was pretty clear from the opening of training camp that they got a guy who I've said is going to be a pro bowler within three years. And it may not take that long, honestly. Um, I, I think he's in a perfect situation in terms of playing with a guy like Rashad Jones. Uh, I, I wish that the Dolphins had kind of resolved their corner situation. So Minka wouldn't have to play in the slot quite as much because they've had to move Bobby McCain, who I also thought did a good job yesterday, but they've had to move Bobby McCain out to boundary corner uh, in in a lot of different sets. 
But when I, when I look at what Minka did yesterday, again, the instincts, man, that's what it's the instincts. But see, instincts are a product of preparation a lot of times. And from everything that you hear about him, he prepares his ass off. OK, and he's yeah. at the building early. He's serious about it. He, you know, whatever criticisms I have of Nick Saban as a human being, and I was honestly stunned by him defending the kneelers this week. But, you know, you know, and, my and, and publicly apologizing. Do you see that? He publicly yeah. apologized to Maria Taylor. It's like, oh, my God. Well, well that, that one that Chris, that one didn't surprise me because I that one I, I had an incident with him uh, when he was coach where he I wrote a column because he he went on this long diatribe comparing football to war. And I kind of took him apart in a column for that. And he actually I, I will give him credit for that. He. He actually reached out to me to have me reach out to uh, veterans who followed my stuff, and he invited them to camp for a day. So there is a little of that in him. Uh, you know my overall feelings on him, right. but uh, but I but I will say what he does do is prepare football players to yes, play in does. the NFL. Yes, he does. Uh, so, so well, so, you know what's funny is that it, it, it's a little bit of a mixed bag though, because I was reading a story about Kenyon Drake and the way that he has matured over his three years. And he was apparently in a very reflective mood. I read a good piece by Jason Leisure about this. And he, he, he said like, as much as Alabama is an NFL factory, like I wasn't ready to play in the league. So credit to Mika Fitzpatrick, because it's not just about playing at Alabama. It's about care, like sort of living that way. Like, like not just being a great athlete that happened to play there, but taking it on board and mix and sort of marrying those two things together. And there's no question for me, it all boils down to that fourth down and goal play where Corey Davis in the flat that play the Titans used to success every time they ran it up until that point and make Fitzpatrick finally decided not now not this time not on fourth down and he made the play and so you're absolutely right the instincts and 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 positionally how he can sort of play all over the field I know you don't want him playing in the slot but for me that's fifth DB that's not necessarily slot corner and I feel like that kind of suits his skill set perfectly so you're absolutely right a plus debut for Mika Fitzpatrick and if you look at how many Dolphins rookies first round picks over the years have not had a plus debuts, I mean, let, let's let's, you know, linger on this one for a little yep. bit. Right. Because, I mean, you know, we spent all last year saying Charles Harris is close to sacks. Right. Like we spent the whole first year with Deion Jordan saying, well, he'll be really good eventually. I mean, mm -hmm. Devonte Parker. Well, if he could just stay healthy. I mean, we, we, we've done this in the first year with a lot of guys making excuses for them. I mean, the last first round pick I can think of that we didn't have to do that for was Jake Long. Like Jake Long, 2008, and he was the number one overall pick, but like, but he stepped in right away and it was like, okay, we have our cornerstone left tackle. He's going to be fine. We don't have to worry about that position anymore. And that was true until, you know, rest in peace, Tony Sperano played him in a fourth preseason game and, you know, Jake's career was never really the same after that. So uh, the fact that the, the Dolphins got it right with this draft pick, these are not small things. This no. is not a franchise that has gotten these things right. And so it's clear that they got that right. Now, we also saw Jerome Baker uh, make a couple of plays yesterday as a third-round pick. I, I, I like this draft. I, I think mm -hmm. they got this draft correct. And they did everything right to me except get protection at quarterback. Um, but again, that's a topic for, and, and, and I think thing. that's something depending on how the salary situation shakes out in the off season that I think they can do in next year's draft because they had so many holes this season you know, that needed to be filled by young players that maybe they couldn't go and solve quarterback. Whereas if some of these guys end up being holdovers and you have, you know, McMillan and Baker at linebacker together, you have Minka, Xavier Howard, and, you know, and you, you're able to keep Rashad Jones. Like, you, you're not necessarily constantly having to solve issues with draft picks rather than add to your roster. And if these guys end up sustaining their performance, you might not have to end up lingering with these guys playing important roles for such a long period of time. 
All right, let's move on to part five here real quickly. And that's kind of where they go from here. And, mm-hmm. and I know you threw this out there yesterday and it's hard to deny it, man. Like mm-hmm. their next two games are against the Jets and the Raiders yep. and, and, and the Raiders, I mean, can we, they we, we haven't, in fairness, we haven't seen these teams yet, but like, like the Dolphins, they were projected to be among the worst teams in the league. Correct. And right. And, and the Raiders, I think it's going to prove true. I mean, can they trade John Gruden for Khalil Mack <laughs> right, right that, now? Just, uh, just on the evidence of that pick six alone. Good uh, God. Uh, I mean, the Raiders are going to spend the next 30 years trying to find a player like they just traded. Yeah. I, I I never understand that. I mean, it's particularly when it seems like there was a lack of communication there. And I think the game is past Gruden by, and I think we're going to find that out. I mean, just because, you know, he, you know, let out a few pows on Monday Night Football. All of a sudden, he's a genius again. I kind of want to see him a coach time. a game first, but I, but, I, but, but I can understand why that narrative has already started to form. Because, again, as much as Khalil Mack is a transcendent talent, I, this is all. It's all about Derek Carr for them. If Derek Carr comes out and turns in a really good performance against a really good defense in Los Angeles, then mm. may, then then maybe the, the the view of this game will start to change. If Sam Darnold comes out tonight against Detroit and looks like a really promising young quarterback, maybe you're not feeling so confident. But again, this is based off of the relative narrative surrounding these two teams. You have winnable games coming up before yep. you're at New England to close the month. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, we're going to have our next watch party at Texas Roadhouse for that New England game. So. Uh, that would be something if the Dolphins go into New England at three and zero. I might get depressing after that, but we'll, we'll have plenty of fried pickles uh, and, 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 and and beer to make you feel better. But look, uh, this team is again. That's why I just didn't understand the overwhelmingly dour narrative with this team. I I, I looked at sort of the players that they brought in, Tannehill being back, uh, the fact that they did win 10, 10 games t- just two years ago. I know it was a fluky season, but they did win ten games. All of the other stuff that they dealt with last year with the hurricane and playing 16 straight without the bye. And I just, I, I, to me, they're not a five or six win team. I, I, I think they're a little better than that. I don't know how much better, but, but I also looked at the schedule and the schedule to me, I know it changes year to year and teams you think you're going to be good or not good. And I get all that. But when I looked at it on the overall, I'm like, this doesn't look that bad to me. And if you can win that Tennessee game at home at a one o'clock, and I thought the weather would be good and hot and all that stuff. Then you have two games that are winnable and you go into New England with some confidence and worst case scenario, maybe you lose a close game up there, but you still feel better about yourself. I think they're positioned that and nothing I saw in the AFC last yesterday really changed my mind about this. Like that sixth spot in the AFC, I think is going to be up for grabs this year. I don't think there are a lot of great teams. Look at the AFC West. I mean, people are projecting the Chargers to be the best team because of what they did the last half of last season. Okay. How many times have the Chargers disappointed over the past 10 years? Mm-hmm. Like where there were projections for them. Now, I know you love Pat Mahomes and surely that was, I mean, four touchdowns. He, he threw for under 50%, but he threw four touchdowns. Uh, so maybe the Chiefs stay up a little higher than than people thought. But again, the Bills, I mean. Yeah, okay. a complete I mean, the, disaster. Oh, my God. Right. right. But, and, I mean, okay, so, so for me, I get why the national consensus was that the Dolphins are going to be really poor. Right. I, I, I understand it. Right. Because you look at the way that they manage their offseason, they got rid of their star talents and brought in players who by pedigree are not as good. Right. So I can just I can simply understand based off that fact, if you look at position by position, where are the Dolphins, where do the Dolphins have above average talent? There weren't any obvious areas, right? But, I mean, football doesn't necessarily work like that, where you you have the most talented players playing together. Like, the Rams are going to try that this year. I mean, the the Eagles once signed Namdi Asamoah and and thought they were going to have the best secondary in the history of football and ended up being a giant disaster. Like, there, there is potential for a lot of talented players to be combustible. But 
to me, the thing that stands out is that right now there don't appear to be, other than Buffalo, and for me, Arizona, there don't appear to be bad disaster teams this year. Like teams that you know, we are, we're going to pick on those teams. They're going to be among the worst teams in the league. Like Cleveland upgraded enough to at the very least be competitive with Pittsburgh. Like there, there aren't like the Giants looked a lot better yesterday and they're much healthier than they were a year ago. Like there is just a difference between the teams that are at the bottom last year and where they are now. And so where are the obvious, like every season we think there has to be a team that goes three and 13. There has to be. Now, Buffalo look like the favorites, but there are generally multiple teams that are bad every year and there might still be, but for me, the thing that kind of stands out about what happened yesterday, and it could just be a case of the week ones where no one hits in preseason and so everyone's relatively even, or a legitimate turn towards parity, there don't appear to be bad teams and there don't appear to be great teams. And so I do wonder if this is genuinely a year where maybe the best record in the league is like 11-5, and five, no one really dominates that much, and there aren't going to be that many teams that go worse than 6-10. and 10. And so the Dolphins, I think, are in a conversation where, like every other team in the league, they can be between six and ten and ten and six depending on how the season breaks out but I think people thought that they would be bills bad because there's always at least three or four teams that are bills bad but I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case this year well I think you're always so close to the edge I mean I'm mean, just think about last night the Packers Bears game like when Rodgers goes out on that cart you know everybody's like Brett Huntley they're three and 13 yeah um, mm-hmm. and and then Rodgers it was, it was, it was, it was Deshaun Kaiser wasn't it yeah oh it's Deshaun Kaiser right yeah. so yeah everybody thought Deshaun Kaiser three and 13 and then you know you look at what ends up happening not Mm -hmm. only is he probably going to be healthy although i don't know if he necessarily plays next week we'll see but they end up winning the game against a division rival that clearly is much improved so these things change so quickly and you mentioned you know teams that are slapped together that namdi asinwa team they were calling that the dream team remember that philadelphia team i think they won seven games uh the i always talk about the dolphins team in 95 that shula had like 20 first round picks on that roster and that team collapsed down the stretch, and that was the end for him. So I, I, these things are difficult to project. All I based it on was their quarterback is back. They replaced some players who I thought were a little bit overrated locally with some guys who I thought could fill the roles better, and they got more of them. And, and that's the big mm-hmm. thing to yes. me. And, and so the, the depth is better. Are they an 11 or 12 win team? No. Um, but and, I, and agree I would say like they've upgraded, like if you're ranking starters one through 22, the upgraded starters 15 to 22, a, a lot on where they were a year ago. And that is a real thing in football. Like I do mm-hmm. think that football is a weak link game. Who is your 11th best player on the field? And like for the Dolphins, like on offense, for instance. I don't think they really have that many where you're sitting, where you're sitting there going to a Sunday thinking, oh, God, we have Dallas Thomas at left guard. How the right. hell are we going to survive 67 snaps? Or, like, I or don't Mark think they Columbo. have any of those. Yeah, they don't right. have any of those players on that offensive line or at tight end where you're going into the game thinking we're getting nothing at Julius Thomas. Now, Kasicki didn't deliver much yesterday, but I think he'll eventually come good and be a reliable contributor. Like, I just don't think on either side of the ball they have players in positions where you're going, oh, God, they're going to pick on that corner or they're going to run to that side of the defense line or they're going to try and run right up the middle like for me where they upgraded was towards the bottom end of their starting group I don't think they have that many weak links no I I don't and uh, with that said they could lose to the Jets by three touchdowns right, so right. We'll, because we'll, it's we'll, football man because <laughs> it's football and it's them and it's their yes, history right and exactly yes so, so I'm not going to pencil in these as to his wins I'm just mm-hmm. saying it does set it looks up promising it looks promising it, it, it looks promising this is the five reasons sports network 
Miami Sports On Demand. We now have 13 podcasts in the network posting roughly 15 times per week, all absolutely free. Find all of our shows on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. Plus, become a member of our patron feed and you'll get even more fresh content. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on Balls Cast. It's legitimately dreadful watching the Dolphins, man. Like, is this, <laughs> is it worth it to be a Dolphin fan? Like, this is, this feels terrible. If you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number five reason sports on Twitter. Don't forget to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. All right, let's go really quickly here to the Canes. I'm just going to set you up for this again. I, I don't know that Savannah State deserves mm-hmm. a whole lot of mention, although, again, credit to the Canes for not being FSU or UF. Right? So <laughs> well, I mean, Savannah State is significantly worse than, you know, any of those uh, any of those teams that are playing. But th- so I, 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 would w- I wasn't watching the game live, but I, I try to make as much of an effort as I can to kind of follow the narrative and then end up I watched like a kind of extended cut of the game last night. And there were a few things that stuck out to me. Uh, I'll make three points here. The first is that all three of the quarterbacks that came in for Rozier looked better than Rozier. And Rozier gets off to a start. Now, the the first drive wasn't his fault. It It was a fumble by the running back. But the first two drives were fumble and three and out against Savannah State. And that just can't happen. Like, I'm not saying that the game should have ended 91 nothing, but generally every drive that the first team offense is on the field against Savannah State should result in success. And I just think Malik Rozier is at a point now where you know what his ceiling is. You know what he can deliver you, which is 55% completion. The best five throws will look pretty damn good, and the worst five throws will look like a complete disaster. And he just does not have enough of a skill set to regularly engineer drives. And at the very least, you saw signs from Nkosi Perry through a bad interception, but was able to do to, to show his talent in the game. You had Cade Weldon, who ran in a, long, a longer touchdown and, and can, can offer something different. Jaron Williams, who I think will probably end up being the best out of the three, the, the 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 three backups for Miami, and I think you just saw more ceiling from those players, more to see, and you want to get them in games against Toledo and FIU, so that when you get into the meat of your schedule you can actually have quarterback play that looks different than what we've seen for the last year and change. So I think those quarterbacks, I, for me, there was a concern going into this game that we'd see them be like, Ugh, I don't know, like it, like it would be an Ev- like an Evan Sheriff situation when he came in against Pitt last year, and it's like, oh, the Hurricanes just have nothing after Malik Rozier, and that's the only reason why. I don't think that was the case. So I was encouraged by the backouts, but I kind of want to see them more. Uh, the second thing, Jeff Thomas is an absolute star. I mean, he so regularly makes Malik Rozier passes look catchable. And it's just every time he touches the ball, it's I have to stop what I'm doing to watch. And it's incredible how many highlight real plays he's made in a season that has been fairly lackluster so far, beating up on among the worst teams in college football. And showing he was really the only player that stood out for the Hurricanes in their loss to LSU. And every time he touches it, whether it's in the return game or whether he just catches a slant and you see his obvious speed, like seeing people be, again, it's against Savannah State, but seeing people be obviously faster than other ostensibly major college athletes is 
really cool to watch. And I, for me, if you're looking for a reason to watch Miami Hurricanes football, watching Jeff Thomas play is the number one reason why. But the concern, if you are going to leave a 77 nothing game with concerns for me, and, and this is my third observation, is that their offensive line is not good, particularly in the run game. I figured it would be better in the run game than in the pass game because they moved a guard to tackle into Von Donaldson, but they can't push anybody. If you can't push Savannah State, when you turn on the television or it was streaming, so you, you know, Google Chromecast or Apple TV the game, or you go to it in person, like, this is a game that Lane Kiffin would describe as you wanted in warm-ups. Like, you are significantly bigger, faster, stronger than the guys you're going against. And if you can't push them, like, and I saw Manny Navarro during the game tweeted a great stat that the average contact on running plays against LSU was 0.4 yards behind the line of scrimmage. So the Hurricanes are not doing any job of pushing anyone. And if you can't even push Savannah State, then what are we doing? And that, that would, like, my concern is that the running game is dependent on running backs that are able to make something out of nothing every single time they touch the ball. And I think that's a concern going forward. Now, Lorenzo Lingard might be one of those players that can. He was ridiculous when he came in towards the end of the game. But I don't know if Travis Homer and to a lesser, I think DJ Dallas can do a little bit more than Travis Homer can, but definitely Travis Homer is going to have a hard time running behind this offensive line. So that's what I left the game with. And then I was talking with uh, with some friends after you know after the result and looking at Florida State's performance against Samford. And man, this schedule is soft. This hurricane schedule is so soft. They're at Toledo next week. Then they're home with FIU. They're home with North Carolina, who lost big to East Carolina. An FSU team that struggled with Samford. A Virginia team that is still you know two years away from being two years away. Like they they lost at Indiana and beat Richmond uh, at Boston College. It's like that's your most dangerous game in like in two months. And then your home Duke at Georgia Tech, who lost to USF over the weekend. And your only ranked opponent is at Virginia Tech in your second to last game of the season. So as much as we've kind of seen, fr- frankly, some kind of downtrodden UM fans like, oh, crap, we're not that good. Like, they might pull off six, seven wins in a row here today because of how bad the schedule is. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they end up looking over these next few weeks and if they can actually leave the season developing to a point where you feel like next year is the year away from being the year away. So that's, that, that's what I leave the Savannah State game with. All right, and we'll talk about all this uh, this Wednesday night. One thing I want to mention before we leave, uh, we're having a soccer match, a five-reason sports soccer match at Soccer Zone Indoor. That's uh, the corner of Miramar Parkway and Flamingo Road in Miramar. All you need to do to be able to participate in that, both Chris and I will be out there. I'm not sure if I'll be participating, but Chris will be. Uh, basically, um, all you need to do is sign up for our patron feed. So you can find that at the Five Reason Sports. That's at the number Five Reason Sports Twitter feed. It's in our profile. Click on that. Pay the three bucks. That's all it is for September. You'll get all this cool additional content uh, that we put on there. And then additionally, if you show that to us at the uh, at the at, in- at Soccer Zone Indoor, you'll be eligible to play. So check that out. We've got a couple more watch parties coming, lots of other stuff. And we will be doing these recaps after every Canes and Dolphins game on Monday throughout the football season. Talk to you soon. Thank you. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.